You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. Sweet. Revenge is sweeter. I'm passing seconds. Meet Sugar Hill. No, please. Not a place, but a brand new face. My friends call me Sugar. The foxiest. Looking for anything special? Sexiest. Deadliest chicken town. The mob took Sugar's man away. And now, she's gonna make them pay. I want them dead. With a voodoo priestess called Mama Matrace. I know what you can do. The power you possess. How strong is your hate? And Baron Samdi, too. My particular special. A drink that I'm famous for. The zombie. This is my domain. A kingdom of the dead. And an army of undead behind her. Each death has had something to do with voodoo ritual. There's nothing that sugar can't do. Use it. The mob has never seen anything like Sugar Hill and her zombie hitmen. Hello again, and welcome back to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. And I'm here with Maria de Paula Vasquez, all the way from London. <laughs> Hi, Maria. Hi. <laughs> You're my first international podcast guest. Yeah. Um, well, I'm happy to to be on the show. Um, I've been a listener from from the beginning. Um, yeah, I heard you on uh, Attack of the Queer Wolf. I can't remember which episode that was, but I was like, I like the sound of her podcast. And then I hit the subscribe button. Amazing. So. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So we're going to talk today about... The American horror black exploitation zombie film from 1974, Sugar Hill. Uh, and Maria, before we talk about the film, I wanted to ask you who you are, what you're about, and also, well, let's get to that afterwards. Who are you? <laughs> um, I, I'm originally from Long Island, um, oh, but cool. I, I moved to London just over 18 years ago. Um, I'm a photographer, a longtime horror fan, and I am also a volunteer film programmer at Deptford Cinema, which is a volunteer-run cinema in Deptford, Southeast London. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's me. That Deptford sounds so fucking cool. What kind of film screenings do you all do? Um, I mean everything um 
you know, not just horror, but um, we have like live, uh, live music, um, you know, comedy. It's, I mean, some people have said it's quite, you know, like niche and arty farty, but like the programming is all done by volunteers. So it's, you know, we've had um, a John Wick all nighter. Uh, mm-hmm. um, we've, you know, it spans the um, the spectrum of film tastes. So there's something for everybody there. That's great. It's, that it's always good to hear that it, volunteer-run cinemas are still alive and well and doing cool programming. So that's awesome. I hope to get there one day when yeah. I, when I can leave my house. That would be great. Um, Especially for like something horror related, because I was hoping to do something again um, in October with Final Girls Berlin Film Festival um, and screening some of the the stuff from their 2020 um, edition. So hopefully we'll we'll be allowed out in October. Yes. Yeah. Final Girls Film Festival is also amazing. If you're listening and you haven't heard of them before, definitely check them out too. Uh, So Sugar Hill, I know like a while ago, like months ago, I posted uh, screenshots from the movie and was, you know, saying that I really wanted someone to do this with me and you had volunteered. And uh, now it's finally coming to fruition. But I know that you have a special connection to this movie. And I was wondering why you wanted to do this film and what your connection and history with this movie is. So... I mean, like, I'll, yeah, it kind of all started when I first discovered horror, which was when, you know, Blockbuster was still around. And I remember on um, the first day, like, my parents went down to Blockbuster to get a card and my mom let me loose in the horror section. But she said, you have to find me a film, you know, like an action film. Because she was really into, like, kung fu and action films. And I was just tired of her taste in Chuck Norris films. <laughs> and I wandered through and found the the black exploitation section. Um, and just to to give some people a bit of context, like I'm I'm mixed race. My mother's Afro-Brazilian and my dad's white Spanish. So I like I instantly straight away like was like, oh, my God, there's like loads of films action films cheesy 70s stuff like black people in it um because i was about nine eight or nine um yeah when we we finally got a vcr and everything um and then actually the first black exploitation film that i watched was coffee uh love coffee um i just liked the look of the cover and i was just like oh you know she's a black lady she kicks ass she's got big tits that kind of described my mother. So I thought Amazing. she might. <laughs> like, you know, and yeah, like luckily she liked my choice in film. And then um, eventually on my subsequent trips to Blockbuster, she always like monitored what types of horror I could bring into the house. Like I couldn't bring in anything involving, cause we, I was raised Catholic. So I couldn't bring in anything involving the occult. 
and we had seen like blackula but i was like really interested in this idea of like this amazing woman uh you know raising a, a voodoo army of zombies uh to avenge her lover's death um so i just waited till my dad took me to blockbuster because he never gave a shit about what i watched so <laughs> And then I just snuck that past the censor, i.e. my mother. Um, and I just thought it was amazing. Um, and yeah, like, I just liked how, like, she won in the end. Yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, this is, it, this film is an iconic black exploitation heroine film, like Coffee or Foxy Brown. Yeah. Uh, and it follows a lot of the same arc as those films do but yeah. the interesting thing about this film is uh, it's a, it's also horror so yeah. it's it's kind of a hybrid genre uh so it was directed by Paul Meslansky uh and who is best known for the police academy movies actually uh and starring Marky Bay as the uh -huh. title character and the basic plot is that she uses voodoo to get revenge on the people responsible for her boyfriend's death so this movie was made by uh, American International Pictures, and they had previously combined horror and black exploitation genres, like with the film Blackula from 1972, and its oh. sequel Scream, Blackula Scream. So it black exploitation horror is a in a great subgenre. There's not a yeah. ton of films in the subgenre but i was wondering this is definitely not my even though i love these films definitely not my area of quote-unquote study yeah. uh, so i was wondering if you could speak more to the black exploitation horror subgenre and like what what are some what are some films in that subgenre and what are some of the we just anything you wanted to say about it um, well, I know that um, another black exploitation film, actually, which I only discovered a um, couple weeks ago, was one called Abby. Oh, yeah. Which, um, so, yeah, like, and how I, I found it quite interesting because it was after I'd watched Sugar Hill for the second time um, to take notes. I, I watched Abby and I found it really interesting how that kind of delved into the whole, um, you know, the, the African gods and like, cause uh, growing up Catholic, but obviously coming from this like um, Afro Latino, like background. Um, this idea of like, you know, the African religion that, the slaves brought over to Brazil that it always seems kind of to my very Catholic family, a bit like scary and like, Ooh, you know, but I, for me, like the more forbidden they made it seem, the more curious it made me about like exploring its origins. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, there aren't, to be honest with you, I, I don't know of that many other sort of, 
black exploitation horror films apart from the ones we've named so far yeah there's Um, not a lot yeah ones you know yeah and well the what you were saying about these that the subgenre having um elements of african spirituality is definitely the the thing that stands out and is present in all of the black exploitation horror films yeah. that we mentioned um there is a that is always the origin of the supernatural elements mm-hmm. in it is this african spirituality uh com- you know combined with the uh very um, of 70s american black power sensibility and of course it's complicated because a lot of the people that were writing and directing these films were white um Mm -hmm. like paul maslansky is is a white man um and that has led and like i talked about this with my friend kat when we did the foxy brown episode a lot that has led to you know a lot of the scholarship about these films sort of kind of like how the lesbian vampire films get positioned as like, you know, being exploitation films, right? Like that's why we get the name black exploitation is because there is an element of identity that is being exploited, um, you know? And so that complicates it because it's, oh, is this like a white person's interpretation of the black power movement? And, you know, is it, it, yeah, it gets complicated because, like you, and I know I keep saying the word complicated over and over because, like you said, right, this was something that you connected to as a kid, and we're not used yeah. to seeing black women as heroines in horror films. Yeah. So, while it's, you know, has this kind of dubious history at the same time, like people do feel a very real connection to these yeah. roles. Um, and that's also, that's important. So the role, this is the role Marky Bay is most known for. Um, She retired from acting in the 80s. And fun fact, she is an avid stamp collector. I thought that was really cute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also read somewhere that apparently her and her husband do like murder mystery tours. That's so cool. Love that. In in California. So (laughs) yeah. If I ever make it out to the West Coast, um, I definitely I, I want to I want to seek her out and go on a murder mystery tour. Oh my god, yeah! I mean, I just moved to California, so if you ever visit, we'll seek out Marky Bay and go yeah. on her murder tour. That sounds ideal. <laughs> uh, Don Pedro Coley plays Baron Samdi. Mm-hmm. He's great in this. Yeah. Uh, and he's he is an actor who appeared in many black exploitation films of this era. That was the kind of the other thing about black exploitation is it gave a lot of roles to people who to black actors who were being historically denied roles so it gave a lot of roles to these great actors and we get get these great personalities of the era and then when black exploitation falls out of favor a lot of these actors don't 
they don't they aren't able to keep up that momentum and they can't they they kind of fall out of work yeah. uh, so that's the other complicated thing about it is it also employed a lot of great actors uh-huh. and like also Zara Cully who plays Mama Mitri Mama Mitri's um yeah who's also fantastic in this film and she's most known for her role as Mama Jefferson on the Jeffersons yeah I I remember the first time I saw this film I was like Mama oh my Jefferson. God, like, <laughs> well that's the other thing too is like Somebody like Zara Cully, who's an older black actress, is very often pigeonholed into these kind yeah. of, um, like, mammy-esque characters. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, she gets to be a badass fucking witch. Yeah. So it's, you know, you get to see different sides of her. I mean, she's like, her and... I mean, everybody's great in this movie, but like her and Baron Sam D, mm-hmm. I think are my favorites. <laughs> so yeah, there's not a lot, there's not a ton out there about the actual production of this film. I was struggling to find some things, something that is in that is interesting that I think a lot of people don't know about American black exploitation, and I don't know if you've heard this before, is that with the release of The Exorcist, uh, black exploitation started to decline because yeah. what happened was The Exorcist was when when people basically like Holly, white Hollywood executives thought that black viewers were not interested in horror. Okay. And uh, that's so they they released they would specifically release horror films in neighborhoods that were predominantly white because they believed that black viewers were not interested. So they released The Exorcist in predominantly white neighborhoods in California. Um, but they saw that black viewers were traveling from other neighborhoods to go see this movie. So, right. So they were like, oh, actually black viewers do like horror films. So I guess we don't have to make black exploitation films anymore. So that is why black exploitation. So the exorcist is kind of the reason that black exploitation started to fall out of production. Um, which I had no idea until I researched The Exorcist. Yeah. Um, so it turns out that The Exorcist is also to blame for why, like, the film Abby got pulled from theaters after, like, a month. Because, yeah, I guess the producers claimed it was basically, like, a copy of The Exorcist. And I can tell you, it definitely is not. No, it's uh, not. I mean, it involves... It involves a possession of a of a woman, and that's where the similarities end. Um, so yeah, like I don't think that film is out like on DVD anywhere. I saw it on YouTube. Yeah, so. Abby is. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great 
comparison too. And I really want to do Abby on the podcast. Um, I might do it with Monica Estrella Negra who did, uh, who was on, on here recently. Um, but yeah, there really is no similarities except that it's about a possessed woman. There's a ton of movies that are about a possessed woman. So uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it had the misfortune of coming out at the same, around the same time. Uh, and mm-hmm. The Exorcist sort of like eclipsed so many other things. Or it, it was just yeah. such a huge phenomenon. So let's talk about the plot of Sugar Hill. Okay. So we open, and there's that great intro song. That's the other thing about black exploitation films is yeah. they always have a great theme song <laughs> uh, that yeah. sets the tone of the film. And we see a group of people dancing and performing what looks to be some kind of ritual. Yeah. But the interesting thing about that is once the opening song ends, it is it pull the camera pulls back and it's revealed that this is an act being put on at a, like yeah. a, a resort. This resort is called Club Haiti. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I wrote ahead. in my like I basically was like, oh, like another performance of black spirituality for the white man like yeah obviously as a when as a kid when i saw it i didn't really make the connection and it was only when i saw it again like you know more than 30 years later i was like oh like this is what my mother told me about you know the performativeness of african spirituality and how like I think another reason why she she didn't like seeing it on screen is because most of the time it was written from a white perspective as right. a sort of caricature. Um, yeah. So. Oh, absolutely. And this movie kind of nods to that. It's like a very yeah. clever opening because when it opens, you are sort of thrust into this and like ready to go along for the journey. But then when it pulls back and you see this group of white people clapping and yeah. the performers ending their show, I mean, it's very it's very kind of smart because you're like, wow, you're immediately kind of put in the position of those viewers yeah. who, who were just clapping. Um so we pan to Sugar, mm-hmm. Marky Bay, looking gorgeous in this green outfit. Yeah. Her clothes are everything in this. That's the other thing I love about uh, black exploitation heroin films is like the, the fucking clothes. It's just always yeah, amazing. Uh, and she's like sipping a drink. She's approached. Everybody's clothes in this are amazing. She's approached by a man in this like glittery suit. <laughs> <laughs> with these like this like scalloped lapel yeah. it's so good and this is her boyfriend langston so the other interesting thing about this is langston sugar's boyfriend is a black man who owns club haiti so yeah. he is like sort of capitalizing on this and selling yeah. it to a white audience so this is a, another common black exploitation trope of the boyfriend who gets killed and yeah. then uh the the heroine has to avenge him. And it I mean I wonder if you 
have any thoughts about this. It's sort of, it kind of annoys me a little bit because I think that like films like Coffee and Foxy Brown and Sugar Hill have a very classical revenge arc, like a lot of exploitation films do. But when it's a when there's a white woman taking revenge she's taking revenge for herself whereas like in like in a rape revenge film like i spit on your grave or miss 45 whereas in these films it's always the black woman taking revenge for a man yeah Uh, like it's never her own it's not her own pain it's not her own vengeance i mean it kind of follows the whole idea of, you know, black women constantly coming to the rescue right. of other people. Um, I mean, I definitely, well, yeah, I definitely saw that sort of within, you know, my mother um, and how, yeah, like this idea of like black women having to bear the burden of whoever, like, you know, basically bearing the world, um, Sorry, what was I going to say? Bearing the weight of the world on their shoulders. Right. Um, yeah, and it the, these films play into that for sure. Yeah. So now we meet Fabulous, the character Fabulous, who shows up, uh, again, another amazing outfit. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like this crazy pattern. And it's like a... I called it a polyester onesie. Yeah, it's a it's a onesie. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bell bottomed onesie with like a matching jacket. Yeah, and he's there with this gang of white men, mm-hmm. and they are bullying Langston because their boss wants to buy this club, and yeah. Langston basically tells him to shove it. And uh, he kicks Fabulous out, and Sugar warns him to watch out for him. But Langston, of course, is has a ton of hubris, and uh, he doesn't listen. Yeah, doesn't listen to his girlfriend. And he leaves the club, and he's attacked by Fabulous and his thugs. So then, this white guy pulls up in a car. He's obviously the head boss. This is Morgan, played by Robert Quarry, who was also a uh, very prominent horror film actor at the time. And he tells the gang to leave Langston's body for dead. So Sugar finds Langston, and she cries and uh, begs for him not to die. But of course, he is dead. And beaten to death which is feel seems like it would be hard to do it's pretty brutal i mean i i was just i remember watching it thinking that's got to be the most gentle ass kicking i've ever right. seen like, yeah like, i guess they couldn't pay for a stunt double but, that's um, a good point yeah they were like please don't actually hurt him we can't get a stunt double in here yeah. i i'd written in my notes say like the morgan has this line where oh he's just garbage Yes. leave it there like like just leave it and i just this has got me feeling all sorts of sad and angry because like you know when you think about it oh you know like people the the way the like the black body is treated i mean obviously people still think that and speak those words to like till this day but yeah i just kind of like i don't know like that line upset me more than like them dropping the n-word 
Yes. Yeah, it's really I'm glad you mentioned that. And by the way, just as an aside that I'll edit out, yeah. um definitely feel free to I love when you when you interrupt me with insights like cuz yeah. I just keep talking so to to keep going through the plot. So definitely feel free to add anything uh okay. like like insights like that that I've forgotten to talk about. Um yeah, that's a really really good thing to point out because a big that is a really upsetting part and you see it it immediately positions Robert Corey Morgan as the this ultimate villain and uh this is the other thing about black exploitation films that and part of what I love not just about black exploitation but about exploitation films in general is it's not afraid to show people the the absolute villainy of people like there's like in rape revenge films there's no like oh let's sympathize with these rapists Mm -hmm. um you know they can be redeemed like it's the same in black exploitation film there's no sympathizing with the racists in the in these films which is refreshing because there is like this very neoliberal sensibility that we all get shoved down our throat of like oh you know try you know can we all just get along like try to see things from other people's perspectives perspective when these people are literally like violent and like trying to kill us yeah like wow fuck them yeah exactly so this it's kind of it's i think part of why exploitation films are still popular with people even though they don't really get made anymore is like this it's cathartic like you don't have to sympathize with these people they're just absolute villains uh and this guy morgan is yeah just immediately positioned as just like a piece of shit um the way that he talks about langston's body so fat uh back in morgan's lair uh, they talk about how Langston had to die. So all of yeah. the thugs uh, in Morgan's lair, including his girlfriend, are white except for Fabulous. Yeah. And Fabulous sort of allows or doesn't allow but um, puts up with the white villains referring to him uh, with racial slurs, um, talking down to him. He just kind of laughs it off. And it's really yeah. painful to watch. And I was wondering what you thought of his character. I mean, I, I know initially when, like, his intro, when he walks into the club, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, like, he he's the token one. Like, you know, the kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, it, it's, that, it's that one, it's that one black guy who is okay with like you know I mean, if you had to think of a modern day equivalent with his white friends you know like right. dropping the n-word and kind you know and it's just like i felt sorry for him but at the same time i was kind of like well you know you've made your bed you right. and I, I think that that's how you're supposed to feel and this is another yeah. very common character in black exploitation films is of the um the crime the crime committing black man who oh. is kind of who is like um a quote unquote traitor yeah. uh, who is who gets lumped in with the villains this is also the case in foxy brown with her brother 
Yeah. Uh, it's there's there's a very there's threads of things that you can track in all of these films. Uh, we also learned that Langston gave Sugar her nickname. Yeah, and that her name is Diana Hill. <laughs> <laughs> and Sugar meets up with Lieutenant Valentine, and who is her ex boyfriend. And she, you know, he's he's investigating the death. Yeah. And she wants these men to pay. She wants revenge. And see, she says she'd kill them if she could. Dun dun dun. <laughs> um, can I can I just uh, interrupt with a bit about Richard Dawson, who plays Valentine? Yes, absolutely. Um. First of all, I made a note that, like, I noticed his burgundy suit almost matches the carpet and the tablecloth. Amazing. We love it. Um, <laughs> but that, um, so yeah, he was also in um, another black exploitation horror flick, which was Scream, Blackula Scream. And um, he's got another vampire connection in that his daughter, Bianca Lawson, played Kendra vampire slayer on buffy the vampire slayer oh my god <laughs> wow thank you for that i had no idea love Kendra. another random fact he was also on all my children during the same year sarah michelle geller was on there wow Unfortunately, buffy. oh my god so. so many connections yeah uh yeah, and he's um, Beyonce and Solange's stepdad because he's what? married to Tim. Because because he's married to who? He's married to Beyonce's at Beyonce and Solange's mother. Oh, so he's their stepdad. Yeah. Wow! Wow! I had no idea. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, Sugar visits Mama Matris. Uh, who lives in this like very cr- spooky, creaky house with like snakes and shit everywhere? <laughs> she is a voodoo queen, uh, and this is when we meet Zara Cully as as Mama Matress. And could you describe Mama Matress for me? Um, she's like this little petite. Um. How, I don't know. She's got this long sort of gray, like, Afro hair. And she's just like this tiny little, I don't want to say goblin. I've got to think of a nicer word. Um, she's just like this tiny little, like, woman. Just She appears out of nowhere. Um, and she's just in this black sort of, you know, um, very Victorian-like dress. Right. Um and yeah, like I mean, to to me, she'll always be Mom Jefferson, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. She just like well, appears. I yeah, I just can't describe her any other way apart from that because I grew up watching the Jeffersons. But yeah, um, she just—it seems like she just materializes out of thin air. Yeah, and she speaks about things very cryptically, and she can sort of, like, read people's energy. And Sugar asks Mama Matress for help getting revenge on Langston's killer. Uh, And interestingly, Mama Matress is confused because she says Sugar was always a disbeliever. 
Uh, so they're they're related in some way. Yeah. And but but she helps her. And I love this line where she says, how strong is your hate? And Sugar says, as strong as my love was, my hate is stronger. That was so like, oh, yes. So <laughs> good. To see what damage she can do. Exactly. I'm like, all right. I, lo- I love a good revenge. Yeah. So Mama performs this ritual with Sugar where she takes Sugar to a swamp with alligators. So the other interesting thing about this film is that it, it was shot in Houston, Texas. Yeah. And it takes place in Houston, Texas. There's these beautiful shots and of nature, and what I like about this film that's unique is it's got this like soft filter, yeah, where everything is sort of like lightly out of focus, and it's got it gives it this very like supernatural quality. Mm -hmm. Sugar, uh, Mama instructs Sugar to kneel as she summons Baron Samdi, who's the Lord of the Dead, and Baron Samdi appears. We also have to describe him because he just looks great. He's like, he's got these gold teeth. Um, he's got what what you would think of as a very like stereotypical voodoo priest outfit on. Um, and I kind of like in my notes, I kind of described it as like um, sort of more steampunk. Oh yeah, I don't know for yeah, sure. So- yeah. Um, just with the top hat and, and the cane and everything. Um, but yeah, like, and you know, the sort of the smudged eyeliner look that he's got going on and everything. He looks fucking Um, great. Yeah. He's, I mean, and he is just like immediately a powerhouse. Um, and he is like very boisterous and like loves to laugh, (laughs) loves to cackle. And Sugar asks him for the power to destroy her enemies. He is also flanked by his sexy zombie brides. (laughs) Yeah. I'm obsessed with. (laughs) Well, I'm just wondering, like I'm, I'm fascinated by like how they did the, those silver eyeballs and like, you know, like, oh my god, that like it looks like it was painfully like just glued on or something. I like could they even see? But it like I just like the look, the whole look of the the zombie army because it's not what you zombies, yeah, it's not what you typically think of. So yeah, right. Like it, this is when we meet the the zombie army. Um, oh. Also, Mama Maitress says that Baron Samdi is a great lover, and she laughs as if she, like, knows (laughs) that for firsthand, which I like to think she does. And Sugar offers her soul in return for his help, and he laughs because he's not interested in souls. Uh, And But but impressed by her, and maybe hoping that she will be one of his new zombie brides, he summons his army of the dead, and we get this amazing sequence of the zombies popping out of the ground set to this like great music. And the zombies are kind of beautiful, like in this very Gothic way. Like they're not, like you said, right. They have those silver eyes 
And, and the, go ahead. The, and because um, uh, I noticed as well that like they they've still got the shackles on because they I think Mama Matress mentioned that like that graveyard. Um, they're they're basically like the bodies of slaves that died um on their on their way over uh and yeah they were buried there still in their shackles um which is quite like like i don't know for me it's just like wow um it's almost like they were just kind of dumped there Yes. Yeah. So the the in the lore of this movie is that the army of the dead uh, are enslaved people who were brought over from Guinea Mm -hmm. and right. They died on the way there of fever and their bodies were dumped in the swamp still with the shackles on. So this is the army. This is Baron Samdi's army of the dead. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're very uh different than like a George Romero zombie right like they there's the way that we like voodoo resurrected zombies in films are very different than contagion zombies yeah um, in that they're they're controlled by a supernatural element. Contagion zombies are not controlled by anything. They're like feral. They just you know they're 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 undead because of a, a disease. Whereas mm-hmm. these zombies, um, there's like a spiritual religious element to it. Yeah, um, and voodoo zombies are typically not like um, rotted and. Uh, grotesque in the same way that yeah. contagion zombies are, right? Like the zombies in this are kind of like hauntingly beautiful. Well, Go ahead. I was gonna say they still have some sort of humanity to yes, them. Yes, yes. No, that is exactly it. That's and that's really poignant because that is, I believe, very intentional because yeah. these these zombies are there is huge historical weight to the reason yeah. that they are who they are. And I believe that this portrayal is um, properly there. It's properly weighted in, yeah. in that there's a, the, the zombies are not, you're kind of you're rooting for them, right? Like they're yeah. not scary. Like they're you. We are in. Whereas in contagion zombie films, like we're supposed to be terrified by it. Like mm-hmm. in this film, I I feel like we are on the side of the army of the dead and sugar and yeah. Baron Samdi and uh, Mama Maitress, which is uh, very unique for zombie films. So. Sugar zeroes in on her first kill, which is one of the goons, Tank. And this is when the film starts to follow a very typical revenge arc where, like, each person in this group gets taken out. Uh, And he's he's in charge of a group of men at a shipping dock. And we also see that not only is he – a racist goon when he's with Morgan. Yeah. He's also a racist piece of shit as a boss. Yeah. 
because uh, he's basically shaking down these guys like uh you know for money in order for them to get any shifts which yes. i mean probably nothing's changed <laughs> i mean I'm today sure, like, right i'm sure that like, happens like uh, one, one of the men stands up to him and says i'm not gonna pay for my job a black yeah. man and he punches him in the face um uh, so we're like this positions us as the audience to be like really ready for this guy to die. <laughs> and yeah. sugar, sugar, oh, uh, go ahead. Sorry, um, I was also gonna say I noticed that like when he approaches like the group of black guys on the docks, he offers them work on like um, like on a banana. Um, God, I can't even read my handwriting. On like basically on a boat that's like. A banana container and yes. i was just like was that deliberate and i was just like oh you know absolutely it was yeah it's you know he's just awful yeah uh sugar confronts him in this like abandoned warehouse kind of thing and yeah. she now has on her kill, kill outfit, outfit. <laughs> yes <laughs> can you describe her kill outfit so it's like a one a one piece like white jumpsuit um with a with a very deep v-neck um to show off the goods yeah and it's got like um a red lapel and i think the cuffs as well like are kind of turned over and it's got like a red lining and everything but yeah that is her that's her that's her killing outfit which yeah. stays impeccably clean yes <laughs> throughout the, the, the entire time not yeah. a speck of dirt yeah, and she wears this whenever she kills, and she also, very importantly, also has a, an afro. Yeah, and she when she is not killing, she has straight hair. Yeah, and I and also when it, I, I thought that that was very important because it positions her very much as this. Um, black power heroine. Yeah. And this is also something that's super common in movies like Coffee and Foxy Brown, where when the women are like embodying this kind of self-actualized version of themselves, their hair is uh, in an afro. Yeah. And when they're having to code switch and like move more seamlessly in a white society, they have straight hair. Yeah. So the army of the dead descend on him and murder him. And it's very satisfying. (laughs) And and Lieutenant Valentine investigates the murder scene and uh, he's very puzzled by it we see the uh tank was brutally decapitated as well uh some good gore there and back at the lair morgan's men are all spooked morgan has this girlfriend who's this horrible woman named celeste uh um i in my notes like i i originally like the the first time she makes an appearance once I also noticed that she drops the most N-words. Oh, yeah. 
ironically enough, in the film. And then part of me was thinking, oh, is she a Becky or a Karen? And then I was just like, no, nah, she's too old to be a Becky. She's definitely a Karen. Oh, definitely. And then throughout my notes, I just call her Karen. <laughs> yeah, she's. I, this movie made me also want to use Celeste as a... Yeah. She's a Celeste. She's... Yeah, I mean, she's so... Um, this is another thing that's very common in black exploitation films that is also like true to life is she's yeah. extremely jealous of sugar and that is a huge part of her hatred to her like she is a violent racist and she's um, jealous of what she perceives to be a sexual threat so Valentine brings an object that was left at the scene to a forensics person who says, confirms that they are slave shackles and that kids find them a lot in the swamps, which was very unsettling to hear. Yeah. And he's concerned with, he's more concerned with the mold and dead skin that he found on Tank's neck. Which came from a non-living person. Right. <laughs> Completely dead tissue. So Sugar goes to Morgan's lair and pretends to be uh, friendly, like she's going to sell him the club. Yeah. Celeste is ra- obviously racist again and refuses to get Sugar a drink. Yeah. And she tells Morgan that sh- uh, Langston left Club Haiti to her. And Morgan tries to get her to sell him the club by belittling her. Uh, Sugar leaves. Morgan says she is foxy and he's like into her. And Celeste is super jealous. So And drops another N-bomb. And drops more N-words, yes. And Celeste... I was also like, you know, when you're watching a movie and like a white person is just like a little too comfortable saying the N word. I was, yeah. I was like, mm, like she's saying this a lot. Uh, yeah. And Celeste storms into Club Haiti and she tries to intimidate Sugar, who isn't phased. Uh, but when Celeste calls her the N-word again, Sugar yeah. slaps her in the face and they fight. And Sugar kicks her ass. I know. <laughs> like. I mean, can I just say, like, can I just quote, yeah. like, this, like, one line? Like, so, I, I mean, like, I wrote, I wrote, how many times has, has a black person, especially black women, heard this before? But Celeste says to, to Sugar, don't you get uppity with me? And then it comes back with uppity with you, my dear. Talking talking to you means I I look nowhere but down. And I was just like, that is so good. And it also shows that um, she doesn't have to use low. She doesn't have to refer to Celeste with like cuss words and slurs. Like she can take her down with her cutting wit and Celeste is just kind of relegated to like she just suck like she's stupid she she has nothing to say but like the lowest possible things that you could say to someone yeah so 
Baron Samdi, we get the first time that he disguises himself. Uh, he's you know he he's he starts to help Sugar more, and he starts to yeah. disguise himself as like um, working class people to yeah. lure these goons to their death. And he like code switches, like he pretends to speak in a completely different way than he actually does, mm-hmm. so that the goons you know, see him a certain way and see him as kind of servile uh, yeah. and follow him. Uh, so he lures this other goon, O'Brien, to his death. So he leads him out into this empty field. And there's also this great moment where uh, O'Brien turns around to say something to Baron Samdi, but he's turned into a scarecrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, bye. <laughs> and I'm out. the living dead, yeah, I'm out. The living dead sneak up on him and bring him to Sugar, who's again wearing her kill outfit. And she's also Evan. holding this shackle. Yeah. And is she like, is she controlling the dead with this shackle or is she like just kind of brandishing it as, as kind of an intimidation thing? Um, so, like, now that I think about it, I think she might be controlling them, because, like, when, later on, when Valentine goes to the, the, um, the museum of voodoo, like, and he brings a shackle to that, um, professor guy, and he, he's saying how it's used as, like, um, juju in voodoo yes like certain things like that so like now that you know now that you mention it she probably is using that as some some way of controlling the the zombie army right uh which is kind of feels very loaded for this character this black woman to be controlling the zombie army with this slave shackle so she this is i think maybe my favorite death uh yeah because she has the dead feed o'brien to this like passel of starving pigs (laughs) and (laughs) she has the line where she says i hope they're into white trash (laughs) which is great i also like the fact that like when when the 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 zombie army bring him over to like the the pig pen um she's like hello honk and i'm just like remember me i just like oh my god like these retro words for like yes instead of like honky it was just honk and i was just like okay (laughs) but i I, I love and that's the other thing is like when she's in her kill outfit and she's Uh, you know, murdering these goons, like she uses a lot of words like whitey and honky to like her rage is just like so pointed. Um, and when she's in this kill mode, that's when she's really free to express this part of her. So, sugar, uh, is on her job as a fashion photographer. Uh, that's pretty fucking cool to see her doing that. Yeah. Uh, I love the parts where Sugar is actually like taking photos. 
And Valentine comes to visit her and he confesses he's still into her. Like, yeah, dude, we know. And he he thinks Morgan's goons are being killed as an act of revenge. Uh, And Sugar corners another goon at a bar in her kill outfit. And he's such – he's so gross. He says, you girls can't stay away from the white stuff. Whoa. <laughs> but her response is so funny because you can tell she like is trying she can't think of anything to say or she just yeah. white is so much whiter <laughs> like, <laughs> she can't even bear to like fake compliment him she's like well yeah. white is uh whiter I don't know <laughs> uh, so this goon Georgie he's like the most disgusting to me because he's so easily seduced by sugar and the way that he manhandles her i'm like ugh don't touch her and she leads him to her place and he's like immediately spooked by the candles and the doll on display and he slaps sugar and demands to know who she's working for so Baron Samdi appears and Georgie tries to shoot him, but it's of no use. And uh, Sugar and Baron Samdi use voodoo to get Georgie to kill himself with a dagger. (laughs) Uh, And it's so good. Like the kills just start escalating. It's like the this one, like, okay, now you're going to kill yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And. Morgan the next day gets a mysterious package that has a human heart in it. Okay. I I couldn't tell what it was. I was like, is that a tongue or or a penis? I, know, I thought it looks crazy. Yeah. Well, so, I'm like, assuming it's a heart because Celeste says it's a heart. Okay. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, I guess that means we're supposed to know that it's a heart. Okay. so valentine goes to the voodoo museum and research library which is actually in texas or was in texas um the building Mm -hmm. is the heights branch of the houston public library okay um the building was constructed in 1925 uh and in real life the building is a registered historical landmark in the state of texas so i was unclear to be honest of if the the Houston Public Library uh the Heights branch of the Houston Public Library if it actually has a voodoo museum and research history building or if the building is just the historic like the library is just the historical building i i didn't i couldn't get clarification on that so if anybody who's listening is in Houston Texas tell me <laughs> Because I I don't want to say anything wrong. Um, so Valentine brings this white professor the shackle. Yeah. And uh, the, the professor tells him that it comes from enslaved people who were brought over and buried in the swamp. And Valentine's reaction, I felt, was very poignant. Like, he, he shakes his head in, like, just pain and disgust for that history and like you were saying the professor says oh it would make a very powerful juju which is a voodoo charm and valentine says he suspects the murderers are a voodoo ritual so he's on to it so morgan is extremely spooked by the murders and he demands that fabulous find information for him um Another goon, King, 
he tries to shake down this piano player in a bar. Um, yeah. And he threatens him, but then Baron Samdi appears in the disguise of a bartender. And suddenly the dead appear smiling with these machetes and it's really <laughs> badass. Uh, Sugar appears in her kill outfits and Sugar uses a razor on a voodoo doll to slash King's neck. Like she slashes the voodoo yeah. doll's neck and then his neck like bleeds spontaneously and he dies. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. Yes, another one bites the dust. It's so the kills are very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Valentine questions the piano player. This was so funny to me, too. I was like, was the piano player just there the whole time that this thing happened? Because he says that the attackers look like corpses. Um, but he also, like, doesn't give anything else away. Like, if he were there... That would mean that he saw sugar, yeah. right? When- mean, yeah, like he's probably like he probably doesn't believe like what he just saw, and right. so it's like, and I get the feeling that the piano player obviously has is quite a heavy drinker, so right, you know, he's probably just like. I probably just imagined all of that, you know. Right. Yeah. And I, it, yeah, that was interesting to me because I was like, oh, is he just, is he like just not saying anything? Um, so the voodoo professor tells Valentine about Mama Maitress. And Valentine starts to put more and more things together because he he goes to Mama Matress's house, which is Sugar's family's house. And mm-hmm. we, he now knows that they're related. Yeah. And he asks to see her. Uh, Baron Samdi appears disguised as a groundskeeper. Uh, her, him and Sugar both pretend to find voodoo like silly and outrageous, but Valentine is not buying it. Yeah. I love this scene because Mama Maitress appears and she puts her hands on Valentine's face and says, this man is not a believer. And just walks off. And then just walks away. <laughs> and Baron Samdi is like, don't follow her because you only see her when she wants to see you. And I was like, goals. Like, yes. <laughs> like absolute goals. Um, Morgan meets with Sugar under the pretense of buying the club. Uh, Morgan offers her money to buy the club. And Sugar agrees. He only offers her $10,000. I was like, even in 1974, come on. That seems like like nothing. Yeah, that's nothing for a club. And he's very condescending. And I have a note here that it's going to be fun to watch him die. Yes. (laughs) Because we know that's coming. And back at Morgan's lair, uh, Morgan, Celeste, and Fabulous are there, and Fabulous kind of says he that he's heard talk about voodoo killings. We get another goon death. Uh, a baker he goes to Sugar's apartment to give her the ten thousand dollars. Yeah, he's I love this. He's spooked by a chicken leg <laughs> <laughs> that like crawls up his body of its own will. <laughs> Uh, and he hears these shackles jangling. And, and then, then yeah. yeah. And then it's like they grab him and throw him into the um what was it a coffin like full of snakes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they uh they entomb him in this coffin with snakes. And Mama Maitress is now at this killing because she has yeah. the other ones and she's like laughing. 
Uh, Sugar goes to Morgan and Fabulous uh, and, you know, says that his man never showed. So she leads them to think that he ran off with the 10K. Yeah. And meanwhile, it got buried with him. Yeah, it got buried with him. So it's like, that's kind of interesting, too, because, like, they're like, this is dirty money. We don't even want this. Like, bury it. Fucking bury it with him. And it really... uh, And they also say, like, money, that's all you care about, so you can take it with you. Here you go. Yeah. (laughs) And I just... Love that because it also is in keeping in this film with like how objects and tangible things have spiritual significance. Yeah. They don't even want the money because it's tainted. It's like got bad energy. So uh, Fabulous leaves to go find Baker and Morgan kind of creepily beckons Sugar to sit next to him and he starts like stroking her but then he threatens her and kind of strangles her a little bit and pushes her away. Yeah. I f- hate, hate, hate him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sugar pays off this sex worker, Opal, who sees Fabulous at a massage parlor every Thursday. This this might be my favorite. Maybe the pigs. I think this is my I, – I prefer this death over the pigs. Okay. Even. Um, I don't – it's just like very funny the way that it plays out. Um, and – so Fabulous shows up for his appointment and Baron Samdi is there as the desk clerk and he tells Fabulous he's going to be seeing someone else today. So as Fabulous is like face down and naked, Sugar yeah. enters from behind <laughs> and pretends to be a, a massage girl and she starts rubbing him and she Sugar asks Fabulous if he'd like multiple women to work on him and he like of course agrees thinking he's extremely yeah. lucky. <laughs> And we get this great close-up of Fabulous where he's like, where are you? Like, come on, I'm getting lonely. And then we see the hands of the dead. Yeah, and it's the the zombie bride's turn yes. to like. <laughs> it's the zombie bride's like stroking him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, why are your hands so cold? Yeah. And he's like, stop it. Be gentle with me. <laughs> And when he turns over, there's this great shot of the zombie bride yeah. like descending on him from above. It's such an iconic shot. And Sugar, uh, so so that's how he dies. Yeah, by fabulous. By fabulous. <laughs> so Sugar asks Baron Samdi to use a voodoo doll on Valentine because he is on to them. So she wants to take him out, but she doesn't want to kill him and she doesn't want him to have any pain. So Baron Samdi sticks a pin in the doll's leg, uh, which causes him to fall down the stairs and break his leg and takes him out of commission. So Sugar visits Valentine in the hospital and he is definitely still on to her. Sugar calls Morgan to lure him to her turf and now we get Morgan's epic death scene where yeah. he pulls up with Celeste to Mama Matress's house. Celeste is too scared to go inside. Morgan goes inside and is attacked by the dead. 
and he Celeste well Celeste is attacked by the dead in the car. Yeah, by by the zombie brides. By the zombie brides. Um, very poetic that Celeste is specifically attacked not just by the dead enslaved people, but by black women. Yeah. Which is like her biggest fear. Yeah. And Morgan sees all his dead goons sitting around a table with sugar at the head. And which is so delicious. <laughs> like, ooh, it's- you know, like I control them now. <laughs> and he jumps through a window to get away and runs. But Sugar and the dead find him and surround him with their torches. Yeah. Uh, Morgan tries to run, but he falls over the ledge into this like sludgy swamp. What is up with that swamp? I I don't know. Like it's not quicksand. I don't know what it is, but is like, it like decom- is it supposed to be like the decomposed bodies of the enslaved? I don't know. I mean, it just seems like some sort of weird boggy. It's like cool. this haunted like, bog. Yeah. Yeah. That like pulls him under. Uh and he screams and drowns to death. <laughs> and yay. <laughs> uh, also in the terrible review I read the writer was like, "Oh, the killings are so cold that by the end you're sort of like rooting for the the villain, the white villains." And I was like, "No, you're not. Like who would be rooting for these people? Like I am so happy when they all die." <laughs> and I mean, I I I don't like yeah, it it sounds it sounds about white like with that <laughs> review. I mean, just yeah, like uh, where exactly? Who? <laughs> and uh, Baron Samdi l- laughs and praises Sugar on her revenge, and he's like, "Well, you know, it's over. You know, how are you going to pay me?" And Sugar uses the still alive Celeste <laughs> as the price for their bargain. So he's going to make her a zombie bride, and he give he's like, "I would prefer you, but I'll take." <laughs> and he gives gives her to Baron Samdi and he carries her away and it's great he like carries her away into the beyond <laughs> which is this like purple light misty area yeah and Sugar says it's over mama you can rest now and she looks off into the distance and I was wondering and this, the film ends, and I was wondering what you make of the way that Sugar looks off at the into the distance at the end. How do you read her expression there? I think, like, I mean, I kind of read it as her just being like, like relieved, like you know, it's finally over, right? And she she got exactly what she wanted, which was you know, to avenge her to avenge her boyfriend's death. Um. Yeah, like, I don't know, I felt it quite abrupt, the ending, really. Like, I mean, but at the same time, it's like, after that, where else could you go with it? I think it's probably, like, the perfect, you know, like, her her job is done, you know. Right, yeah, it's very, very cathartic. Um, It's just... I find it a very satisfying ending. I also like that it ends with the relationship between her and Mama Maitress because I feel like that relationship is very interesting. Um, 
in the film. And I like that Mama Maitress stays a central character yeah. throughout uh, as opposed to just being like sort of the like spiritual harbinger that just kind of like pops in and you know she's definitely yeah. part of this so that is sugar hill um where can people find you on social media if you want them to oh um right so i i've got a twitter account but i don't really use it that much um I prefer Instagram. I've got I've got two accounts, which is um, the first one is mdv underscore one four zero five, and then I've got another Instagram account which is mdv underscore photos. Um, and then I kind of just wanted to um, let people know a bit more if they want to know a bit more about Deptford Cinema. Um, yeah, the so the website's deptfordcinema.org. Um obviously we're closed down now because of the you know the coronavirus. Um but we've currently got a DC on demand, which is um a streaming streaming service curated by the volunteers where you can uh for like two pounds you can uh rent films like indie films, student films, uh that have yeah um basically like uh it's content uh that's been curated by all the volunteers um because you know it's we want to keep a connection with our um with the people that come to the cinema with the local community and obviously you know the wider community people who aren't based in london um and we're also hopefully Sometime in May, we'll be doing our own podcast, um, which will be like, I think each episode is going to be essentially run like how how the cinemas run. It's going to be curated by a volunteer um, and it's going to be basically open to anything uh, related to to cinema. Um, I know the episode that I'm planning is definitely going to be related to, to horror um so so yeah um, i'm working on that awesome um and yeah uh so yeah you can find deptford cinema on twitter and on instagram as well um so yeah amazing Uh, and i'll link all of that in the show notes uh when when this episode goes up that's awesome so you know where to find me uh girls yeah. <laughs> girls goes jello twitter well, and instagram <laughs> patreon.com slash girls guts jello i'm doing live streams now they're really fun uh you know for the, the the price less than the price of two movie tickets you can uh watch me twice a month do some live commentary on some rare films that you might not otherwise have access to so check that out patreon.com slash girls guts jello and i will see you Oh, next week.
Thank you.